OSPO is all about connection with your customers and your team. But what if your tools could also connect? That's where Square comes in. Square for restaurants connects your front of house to your back of house, your team to their schedules, and connects new revenue streams with your marketing to reach new customers. Whether you have one location or many, Square has everything your business needs to connect your vision to reality. Learn more by visiting square.com slash restaurants. Welcome to another Principle of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host as always, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. Now, Principle of Hospitality has been developed to tell the stories of professionals within the dynamic world of hospitality. We're straight talking, ethically minded and a reliable online source of information and inspiration for people in the hospitality industry. Now with today's podcast. As their website says, Goldies is a pub where your new best friend sits waiting. This is a pub where long-lasting friendships are forged. This is Goldie's and this is magical. Goldie's is an amazing independent bar and pub in the heart of Collingwood in Vic. So I feel really, really fortunate to tell the story and talk with the founder, Rebecca Feingold, in today's podcast. Hey, Rebecca, how are you? I'm well, Sean. How are you going? I am fantastic. Thank you for asking. I appreciate it. Obviously, we talked about in the intro about the great work that you're currently doing with Goldies and that kind of stuff. And it's fantastic to have such a great leader in this podcast. Can you tell me how you actually started out in the hospitality industry? Yeah, sure. I originally studied advertising and one part that I absolutely loved about it was the sort of branding and identity and emotions that are attached around a strong brand and how Mm. people sort of resonate with brands. I didn't like the rest of the advertising (laughs) industry. It wasn't for me. And after that, I went on and studied health because I had a real interest in food and really wanted to work with food. So when I was finishing studying, I was wanting to get into the hospitality industry and start working with food. And originally, I was looking at, I wanted to do a food truck. It was when food trucks were new. It was low overheads and low capital to start. Originally, I was going to start a health food truck with my studies. And then when I started doing all my market research and looking into everything, it just wasn't the time. And so I ended up doing a toasty van called Mm. Toaster. And I opened that and it went really well and it was received really well. From there, we did a lot of Vols events, private functions, and that sort of grew into another food truck I started called Von Crump Schnitzel House. And I then I original and then I finally got a cafe called Toaster and Co, which was sort of home of the food trucks, and I was loving it. But the one thing that I think was missing for me with the food trucks is that sort of community. You know, every event's a new customer, new demographic, new clients. So I was looking for another venue while I had this because my lease at my cafe wasn't for very long and I didn't really know what I was looking for. I was sort of trying to describe it as a space. It wasn't a restaurant and it wasn't a bar, but it was a space where people just sort of hang out and, you know, you create an environment for people to sort of have a home away from home. And for some reason, a pub didn't 
really click at that stage. It was actually finding the venue, which was called the Leinster Arm, that really sort of defined that's exactly what I was looking for. Let's step back a bit. I'm super interested in what decisions you made not to do the health food truck because health food is like, it's a very, very interesting market, right? Like health can be Asahi bowls, it can be smoothies, it can be many different things. Why did you decide not to do that? What research did you put in? Look, I was looking mainly what was going on in the States and because I think when I started, there was when I first started doing research, there was only about five food trucks in Melbourne. So it was such a new time. And for me, I started doing all the market research and looking into what was going on and toasties became a really obvious thing for me. Mm. I hadn't had experience in kitchens and toasties just seemed like something that everybody loves and it was just such a fun brand and concept to play with you mm. know it was simple and it was and that's what you want from a food truck you really just want something simple that people are going to resonate with yeah for sure. so i think my studying in in advertising really tied into sort of every decision i've made with the businesses moving forward what year was this that you did the toast event 2014. Wow, so super early. Yeah, 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 it was really early on. What was the food truck community like at that particular time? We were sort of like carnies. (laughs) 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 Because we'd just see each other at different events. Everyone knew everyone. Everyone gossiped about everyone. (laughs) We were just this little weird community going on. But it was really fun. And food trucks were so new and everyone in Melbourne was really excited by them. Mm. You know, and it was tricky because permits were a huge issue. It wasn't like in the States where you can just pull up anywhere and trade. It's really quite difficult. So we'd all be trading at the same events and same places and then a lot of like food truck events just started and they really just took off. How did you decide what events you were doing? Or was it so early on that everything was landing really well? At the start, I did a lot of duds, like a lot. (laughs) And I learned pretty quickly what to ask and what to look for. Um, You know, obviously demographic and how many food trucks compared to how many tickets they're selling. It was all really important but this there when all these events started taking off what started happening is event organizers the next year if they saw food trucks doing well suddenly they doubled the number of food trucks and then put the site fee up so we sort of transitioned away from doing these events more into doing festivals and private functions Mm. toaster became really popular for a lot of private functions we did a lot of weddings a lot of wedding recoveries 21st you know everything yeah can you remember your most successful event Whether that be financial, whether that be like just that felt like a really good service that we had. We did this amazing 21st where we actually took both trucks down and it was quite an incredible big event. And we they put the staff up in accommodation and for the dinner service we did Von Kram, which was these schnitzel burgers in pretzel buns. And then in the morning, because everyone camped there in the morning, they did all toaster for breakfast. And it was just like a little mini festival. And it was just (laughs) with just our trucks there. Yeah, it was pretty gorgeous. (laughs) Before you, when you were sort of deciding whether you were going to, obviously you decided you were going to do a food truck, but did you ever decide, think about doing a bricks and mortar first? No, I think for 
I didn't have the capital to do that. Right. And it seemed like a food truck is a lot of a much simpler model, you know. It comes with its pros and cons, definitely. The things that I loved about it at the start mm. being, you know, no two days are the same and the excitement of going to these events and festivals with your friends working with you, you know, it was incredible. Mm-hmm. But I think that became more and more difficult when I tried to grow. Mm. Um, every, if you think about it, every customer, you've got to keep reinventing yourself and finding new customers every time. Mm. And that started becoming really apparent to me. I didn't really think about the difficulties about that and the downsides of that when I first started. When I had the cafe, because it was just in West Melbourne, we built a real community around that. Mm. And I just, because I was living next door to the cafe as well, and I just absolutely love the community aspect Mm. and that's when I started realizing yeah brick and mortar is more for me you know I I love that community aspect of it I want to get into that in a minute I'm super curious why how did you go from how did you go from toaster to von crumb why did you make that change toaster was doing really well but obviously just having the one truck and only being able to do one event at a time we were getting a lot of inquiries coming in and also at this stage, we we're making most of our money at events. And so I wanted to get a second truck going and I made the decision to do a second brand with the idea that I'd be able to get both in to the big events and at the private functions rather than, you know, just juggling the one brand. I don't, looking back, I don't think it was the smartest decision. Okay. Because it just didn't take off like Toaster. Toaster sort of became a bit... It had a bit of a cult following. Mm. Like people loved it. <laughs> when we were at the cafe in West Melbourne, I actually over a few weeks asked everyone their postcodes and put it into a system and mapped out where they were coming from. And it was unbelievable. This was when I was looking at doing the next venue. Yeah. And it was unbelievable. Like they were coming from Seaford and Altona, like all over. Holy moly. Yeah. So it was really, it was a pretty strong brand that, I think it was sort of the start of the sandwich trend, yes. you know. It was yeah. sort of doing sandwiches really early on. Yeah, so I uh, I don't think doing another brand was so, so – I couldn't put as much love into it as mm. Toaster either and mm. it sort of missed the boat of being one of those first early food trucks as mm. well. Fair yeah. enough. I think the other reason why Toaster was a, a success, I think it was bringing in – Mike's my studying of branding and because it had a really strong simple brand that people really resonated with Mm. the our vision was all about reconnecting with the inner child and I think people really felt that yeah you know yeah yeah how did you how long did it take to actually develop that brand were you the only one that was involved in the ideation and building that out because of your experience no what happened was I was put in touch with a friend of a friend who had studied graphic design and she was straight out of uni. And I was sort of speaking to different branding companies and and no one could really execute it the way that I wanted. And we just met and absolutely hit it off. (laughs) And she's actually the girl who worked with me on Goldies, but I'll tell you about that. Okay. (laughs) So we worked really closely together to develop Toaster and the branding and the identity and what the brand was all about. Because I imagine like 
when I've seen like your branding strategy and I've seen all the different brands you've done, everything has really resonated with me. Like it's just been super, super clean. It's been really fun. It's been joyful. It's obvious that you've come from a branding and advertising background. Do you think that's been a large part of the success as well as the quality of the product? A hundred percent. It's that. And I've also done a lot of study in business along the way. And, you know, one thing that's really stuck with me is how important it is to have a strong vision. You know, Mm. it's not just the brand. It's the vision for the brand as well and what you're trying to create. And with everything I do, with every decision we make with Goldies and with Toaster, if it didn't come back to the vision of the business, it sort of wasn't relevant. And it sort of helped us really establish a strong brand identity, you know. Mm. So when you went and did the cafe after you did Toaster and then Von Crumb, how long were you in the cafe before Goldie came up, Goldie's came up? So I was there for just under four years. It was a four-year lease and that was meant to end in April 2020. Good time. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and I was wanting to extend, but the owner wanted to develop the building, which is right. sad because it's a gorgeous little corner store. And then we were sort of going back and forth and, you know, I was pretty heartbroken about losing it and I didn't know Goldie's was sort of in the pipeline but I didn't know if it was 100% going ahead. And then when the when COVID <laughs> was sort of at the very start, I decided to pull the pin on the cafe early and actually broke the lease early. We could move everything across and just focus on the pub. Yeah, right. So how did the opportunity for Goldies come up? Were you actually looking for pubs at that stage? I was looking for us because the lease was so short on the cafe, I was looking for another venue for about two years. Wow. And I actually signed the heads of agreement on another venue in Brunswick about a year and a half before. And then it turned out the liquor licence had lapsed that they were trying to hide from me. So it almost was a complete disaster. So it was, yeah, it was a long process. I was looking, but nothing felt right. I needed the venue to feel right. And going to the pub, it was like, yeah, this is it. This is what I was envisioning. It's, it just, it has this home. It was, even though it was not fixed up, it was pretty run down. You could, it just had this real homely feel to it that I just really had a strong connection to. Had you always enjoyed pubs? Yes, I have. I love pubs. The one thing about them is I'm, I love beer, but I'm a big wine drinker and I love natural wines. And I love, so a lot of pubs I like hanging out in, but don't necessarily offer the sort of products that I would like. Yeah. Okay. What, so what kind of products did you put into Goldies <laughs> that you did actually like then? As I said, like natural wines. Yeah. I just love, you know nice cocktails, sort of high-quality food. And a lot of other pubs have all of that, but I really wanted to put a strong emphasis on local produce, local wines, local beers, and make it really sort of high, like even though it's all pub fare, really high quality in what we do. Yeah. I find it interesting, like looking at the last couple of years, I've noticed a lot of groups and a lot of people like yourself come from cafes and their next extension is into a pub. And I often have a joke on the podcast where I think a lot of people know their bartender or their barista better than they know some people in their family. 
because they tell them different things and they're more local to them and they see them more often and have these conversations. Do you think it was just a natural kind of flex to go to a pub because it has very much a similarity to what cafes do? I think so. Actually, I've never really thought about it. But saying that, yeah, what, as I said, what I loved about the cafe was the community aspect and the people, the customers that came every day, you really get to know. And yeah, I guess, I guess the pub really is something similar to that. You know, Mm. I absolutely love the community there and it's such a massive part of it. It's been hard to keep that local kind of emphasis on the, with a marketplace, which is so dynamic and, you know, you really have to focus on local if you want to go down that road. Like you really have to develop relationships with those suppliers. Has that been difficult? With the suppliers? Yeah. Or yeah. To actually make sure you have that local fare that's actually coming through the venue. Yes. Less so with the alcohol. Okay. Um, one thing that we pride ourselves on is we do independently own all our taps. You might be aware that a lot of pubs are a lot of the taps are owned by CUB or other large companies. And while we take a hit financially, for me, it's just so important to support local and really be proud of them and really display all the amazing small local breweries and winemakers that we do have, Mm. especially in Victoria, but also like Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, for sure. Mm. How do you work out who's going to be on the taps? We like... (laughs) (laughs) There's a good... Go in rotation or whatnot? Oh, we have certain breweries that we just love working with. We love the people. We love their ethos. We love what they stand for. Yeah. And that's really important to us. I think it's about aligning with other businesses who have the same values as you. Yeah, for sure. So there's definitely a strong element in, in the beers that we portray that we're really proud of them. We think they use amazing ingredients. They put a lot of love in their product, in their brand, in their identity, and it works, you know, teeing up with them. Yeah. Do you feel that gives the customer, your customer, something to come back to which they can't get sort of anywhere else as well? Yeah. I think customers notice it. You know, I think they really like different offerings that we have there in terms of, you know, different wines that you might not be able to get at other pubs or different beers. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, well done. You recently won Pub of the Year. <laughs> Thank you very in much. In Sydney. Thank you. Talk me through sort of how that came about, how that felt for you and the team. When we received the nomination, we we got a huge shock. We, <laughs> we honestly... Being so new because we only actually opened in November 2020 and dealt mm. with a lockdown within that. We almost thought it was a bit of a pity vote or <laughs> just of, you know, they should nominate some new up and coming venues. So we were over the moon and we went up to Sydney with absolutely no expectation at all to mm. win. There were six of us and my dad came as well. It was really sweet. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> and so cool. Yeah, we even the table we were put at was in the the back corner, and we just sort of thought, oh yeah, we're, we're, we're seat fillers. <laughs> <laughs> so when we actually won, we would it was just the biggest shock you could imagine. It was just it was unbelievable. It was completely surreal. How did it feel for the rest of the team as well? Were they as shocked as you? Yeah, we were all we were just all over the moon. The excitement was just next level. I. 
I was so blessed to be able to take the team across with me, the six of us, and, and celebrate with them there because we're just – I felt so supported by them and just the excitement that they showed and, you know, the team that I've got, it was just such an incredible experience. Mm. Everyone was just so excited. Just interrupting this podcast to let you know that Fine Food Australia returns this September, the 11th to the 14th to Sydney and will occupy the entire ICC Sydney. That's four levels of fine food. Fine food has been the leading trade event for all food, from retail to hospitality, manufacturing to bakery for nearly four decades. Visiting fine food will be the recipe to fast track your business for commercial success. Just a reminder that this event is free to attend, so make sure you register at finefoodaustralia.com.au. Now back to our podcast. Can you quantify why you won it and what makes Goldie's a different venue to others? I do think that one, one aspect is how much we do put into the vision of the pub and the mission and the values mm. and, you know, the vision we've got for Goldie's, which I think is at the core of all pubs, is we just wanted to create a home that everyone comes home to, <laughs> you know. And I think that's what a pub's really about. It is a home away from home. But every decision we made from when we first got the building to the branding to the product to the staff, everything has to fit in within that vision, you know, and I think when people come there, they really feel that. Do you find your customers really just local or are they coming from a fair way away, like noticing what you said about the cafe, like people coming from different ends of Melbourne to come and experience it? Yeah. The same sort of feeling? Definitely. It's been actually really interesting watching the sort of change not change in demographic but the different people who come, who are coming through the door now who weren't previously yep. it's definitely a wider demographic coming through now we still have our locals and adore them but yeah it's definitely as more people find out about you we can see like there are a lot of people sort of traveling there especially for groups and functions and things mm. yeah when you took over the old hotel. It was a ho- sorry, Hotel Leicester, wasn't it? Sorry. Uh, the Leinster Arms Hotel. Leinster Arms, sorry. Pubs have a very interesting feel in the fact that locals obviously still go into that pub and then you change it and then the locals will have a feeling of please don't change this or please don't change that. Oh, and yeah. and you said when you came into when you came into the pub before you purchased it, you had this feeling that it was feeling good and it was feeling right. It was the purchase that you wanted to make. How did you make sure that you didn't take away things that would take away from the venue. That would have been a hard decision. So when I was first going, because I went there a lot while it was still operating, just to to keep checking it out and and looking and trying to take it all in. And the locals were looking me up and down. (laughs) It was quite a sleepy pub when it was the Leinster Arms. You know, it was about five old boys sitting in the front bar not many families went in not many women yeah (laughs) okay it was a blokey kind of pub it was a blokey pub and it was quite it had quite a rough past you know in terms of the demographic who went there it had a bit of um 
Aussie crime history, I guess you right. could say, going through the doors. It was Chopper's local. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So okay. I think some things went down there for yeah, a long right. time. Okay. So I think, you know, a lot of the old boys who have been in Collingwood forever have such a strong connection to that pub and, you know, really feel like it is theirs. And that's one thing I really noticed when I was going there and first looking at the pub and meeting them, you know, it was something really at the forefront of my mind. Like I need to be really gentle and respectful of this place. Mm. I, you know, I, you, the last thing you want to do, and, you know, it's really common when people, when you hear people say, oh, it used to be my local, but it's, you know, they've ripped this out or yeah. that. Yeah. So for us going in there, it was really important to more restore it and bring it back to the original sort of identity of it as opposed to completely gut it and change it and make it something new and different. Yeah. It, you know, it had such beautiful bones and everything we've done with the furniture and the fit out. We've actually, one of the themes is we tried to make it feel like Nana's house, you know, <laughs> just this wow. cosy home for everyone. What did you take out? What is it? Was it just blokey elements that you sort of took out throughout the venue? It was more... There was just sort of like layer upon layer of, you know, carpet over carpet right. and things that have been untouched and run down bathrooms and everything was, it was just a bit tired, you know. And we actually didn't really rip anything out. Mm. We more just restored. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at the other pubs or other venues you're looking at at that particular time before you bought what is now Goldie's, were they bigger venues or were they sort of around the same mark? Because Melbourne has a, a really good identity of having a lot of local, smaller kind of pubs yeah. in Vic. Was that, were you looking at other venues that were quite similar? I was looking at other larger venues actually, yeah. but it was the first pub I actually looked at. Yeah. yeah. But we've made the pub quite a lot larger than when we first went there. It's the only single-storey pub in Melbourne as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was originally two-storey when it was built in the late 1800s and then it used to be a legality that you had to have accommodation upstairs. Oh. And when they had a fire there, I think it was in the 20s, that law had changed. So when they rebuilt it, it remained single-storey. Yeah, wow, that's yeah, super interesting. Yeah, so half the building was actually always just manager's residence and the red line, though, went around the whole property. And so we actually activated what was <laughs> what was a pathway down the side that was just mud and a spa <laughs> bath that was put in there in the 90s. A spa bath? <laughs> yes, a spa bath. Wow, okay. Yeah. We turned that into a beer garden. Some of the bedrooms, we, we made a bigger space and made a dining room. So we've actually made it quite a lot larger than it was. It was quite a small pub, but because of the layout, you don't really notice it. You know, it doesn't, we haven't taken out too many walls. We haven't changed the layout or the feel too much. So it, it still feels small, even though there's a lot of, lot more spaces, if yeah. that makes sense, and yeah. still has that, we like to say, country pub comes to Melbourne feel. <laughs> what are some of the challenges in having a pub? that is that old, <laughs> like from structurally and that kind of stuff. I imagine the repair and maintenance on things must be a massive, massive challenge. It's relentless. <laughs> it's absolutely Is there always relentless. something that needs fixing? There's, there's, you know, tradies there as much as there's staff. Yeah, 
It's pretty amazing. And we've got some awesome local tradies that we work with. But mm. there's a bit of a running joke with all the tradies that we always say, oh, oh while you're here, it's always <laughs> a while you're here moment because there's just always things popping up. Yeah, right. <laughs> some small, some big. <laughs> we talked about systems and processes a bit before. How have you managed to make sure that the team understands the vision that you wanted to create? sort of the start of Goldies because obviously when you purchase this pub you're in lockdown you've been in lockdowns for you know almost half existence since you've come on board how have you made sure that those sort of that vision has been coming through with it we have it really at the forefront of everything we do in terms of like staff training and service you know we always bring up the values to the staff during training to make sure like they're portraying it not only to the customers but also to the other staff we also do it sounds cheesy but we have employee of the month that's based on the values and so staff can nominate other staff and each whoever's been nominated the most wins something related to self-care so it could be like a float or a massage or a sense of self-voucher yeah so I think that helps keep it at the forefront yeah, as right. well incentives how, <laughs> <laughs> how big's your team at the moment if I can ask you there's 27 wow yeah okay yeah it's a big team yeah absolutely because <laughs> you wouldn't have started like how many did you start with oh, for the pub yeah about 20 always yeah always Quite a few. It's a pretty big venue to cover. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. yeah. Did you take any staff from your cafe to We sure go to did. Yeah. What actually happened when we shut the cafe and moved into the pub? So Emily, who I was telling you about before, who did all my branding for Toaster mm. and I she actually came on full time for a year with me to do the I sort of created a role for her doing the socials for toaster and the marketing doing the branding and working with me doing the fit out on goldies and then also the socials and marketing for goldies Mm. Um, so when covid first happened (laughs) we actually both moved into the pub that was in april 2020 wow and i shut the cafe and i had about eight staff on JobKeeper, and they were incredible They helped me relocate the whole cafe. We actually moved everything over to Goldie's. And in the atrium, which is the side room with these beautiful stable doors onto Hotham Street, we opened up a toaster pop-up shop. Wow. So we were doing coffee and toasties and we did a bit of a provador selling wines and cheeses. And I think that was probably one of the best decisions we made because... We met the whole community while we were renovating, you know, with Em and I living there, running this pop-up shop and working, renovating the place. And during lockdown, when everyone was sort of stuck inside and coming and getting their two or three coffees a day, everyone really got around and supported us and was really excited to see where we were at with the renos and what was going on. And we actually managed to keep that shop going the whole time we renovated. I think we only shut for two days, which was pretty amazing. Yeah. Do you think that made the transition from what the hotel was before into Goldie's a bit easier because you said before we're talking about this five guys at the bar kind of concept if you were going to come in and change it it's very 
obvious that that's going to be changed, right? But now you've got, got this pop-up on the side where you've done before. Yeah, it, 100%. It played such a huge role. Toaster was quite a well-known brand and I think there was a lot of excitement amongst the community about it being in the pub, especially mm. because it was in West Melbourne and before that it was just a food truck. It wasn't as accessible, mm. but people really loved it and they might have had it once at a festival or, or something. And it, it was quite a, a loved brand. So I think that really helped us get to know the community and I think the community trust what we're going to do. I think they saw that we had good intentions. With a brand like Toaster, it was, yeah, it was really nice. And actually meeting the whole community before opening was just incredible. They were saying, some locals were saying we'd turn the pub into Sesame Street. We were just, because we were living there and we're always there, we just, we knew everyone by their first name and everyone's dog and it was just waving to everyone. Yeah, it was really quite sweet. Um, but we actually, just before opening Goldie's, we actually hosted a dinner. This was right when lockdown finished in 2020 and invited a bunch of the locals to come and actually try the food and the wines and give us feedback, which never happens. You don't get to do that. You're not on, when you're opening a new venue, especially one that's so close to the community, we already knew everyone before opening the doors. It was just incredible like it was the most incredible opportunity and experience for us to really for them to meet us and know what we're about and us to meet them before opening the doors talk to me about the first day you did actually officially open the doors how did you feel (laughs) it was a shit show (laughs) (laughs) why was it a shit show for it's just sorry it all went well from the customer's perspective but you know still unpacking glassware 10 minutes before the doors are open and we'd already booked out and had so yep. many people coming but the the support that we received I think one thing that came about from COVID and the way that we opened is so often when a new venue opens people come in and critique quite harshly mm. and I think given the lead up to opening it was so supportive Everything that sort of happened, if there were little glitches or happened, everyone was so understanding and just supportive and wanting to give feedback and just support. It was mm. really, really incredible. What's your feeling on the pub scene in Victoria and Australia at the moment? Because what you're doing with Goldies is really a refreshing change in the industry. Like it's very different, but in a fantastic way. What's your feeling on the rest of the scene? Look, I. I love the pubs, especially around here, the mm. inner north in Melbourne, where we are so lucky. And I think there's a a really good I love that there's so many pubs that haven't changed and have this original charm and do things their way that I really love and they've been that way for so long and they've got such a place in the community and they're just so respected and loved. And mm. I think that's incredible. I think there's definitely room for more people to come in and put their take on what they think a pub is. I think with all new venues, I think it's so important to come in with your heart and your soul and really put everything into it to feel not what you just love, but really understand your demographic and understand what do people want. And I think 
it'll be interesting to see if any more pubs do change hands because they're getting snatched up really quick now, I think. I think a lot of, I I don't know with what Leinster Arms had, which was this untouched, beautiful building in a great area. There aren't so many more, I think, like that. I think it was a pretty special find. Mm. Just meant to be. Yeah, meant to be. But, yeah, Mm. I I love going to all the other pubs. um, I've got two more questions for you. First one is, like, when you look back at your career in the industry so far, would you change anything that's happened? Would you Um, do things differently? No, I don't think I would. I think even if I've made wrong, I've definitely made wrong decisions for sure. Sure. But they've, but I know they're wrong, which is good. And I've grown and I've learned so much. I look back to when I first started Toaster, I knew nothing about running a business. And just by making mistakes and trying, I've really just learned so much. And same with Goldies. I'd never even worked with alcohol. Like, I, I'd not worked at a pub. Like, we sold a bit of booze at the cafe, but it was yeah. such a huge learning curve for that. I think one of the biggest things I've learned is that you've just got to give it a go and really try and understand that you can learn along the way and ask everyone everything. (laughs) I think that was one thing I didn't do at the start. Why is that, do you think? I think when I first started Toaster, I was like embarrassed about how little I knew about business and everything. And And so I was almost a bit shy or embarrassed to ask anyone for help and I think everything changed when I flipped that attitude and just started saying I don't know what I'm doing please help me what does everyone know what can what can people give me and help me learn and understand so I can keep creating really cool things and really create spaces and experiences that customers want Beck, my final question to you is, what's your plan for the future now? Like you've got Pub of the Year, you've got this amazing venue, you've done fantastically well, you've got a great team. What's the plans for the future? Look, I, for me, I'm just so in love with the process of creating something that I definitely want to keep creating venues. I don't know what that looks like. I don't have an exact vision in terms of I want three more pubs or I want this. I don't even know if we'll necessarily be a pub. I think for me it's more now finding a space or spaces moving forward and seeing what I can do with them, just something that feels right and then creating the concept around the space. I really have seen that I think that's just the best way to do things. I don't want to copy and paste a model at all. I love the excitement of something new, a challenge, a different area where you can learn more as opposed to just scaling. Yeah, so that's really, I guess, what I'd love to do moving forward. What makes you do that? Because so many people do it the opposite way. They build a brand, they build an identity around, they build some brand values, and then they go and look for locations. But you're just coming across locations and feel and obviously how you talked in the podcast about how Goldie's felt to you when you walked in. Why have you decided to do it that way? I just, I... Can you quantify the feeling you're looking for? Look, for me, I think, as I said, with my experience or studying in branding and identity, the feeling and the emotion that people attached, especially with 
an experience when you're having a venue you want them to come in and resonate and really understand what you're trying to portray and Mm. I don't think having that plan and then finding a space after would work for me I am quite what's the word I think I need to be in something to really feel into it and know where it's going to go. I just can't imagine creating a brand and then just putting it somewhere because the space and the venue is so relevant to what you're trying to achieve. Especially because you've you've already got the skill of branding and making sure. You must be very confident in the fact that you can actually build a brand around any kind of space, right? I'd like to try. Yeah, (laughs) I, I really, I love the challenge of it. Yeah. With things changing and the industry changing, I think there's a lot of room to really create different, unique sort of spaces that don't necessarily fit into a restaurant or a cafe or a pub um, theme. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited to see what you're going to do next. What's the best way that people can find out more information about Goldies and Come Down? Well, they can follow us on socials. It's Goldie's Tavern or check out our website, goldiestavern.com.au. Beautiful. It's going to be linked up in the show notes of this podcast. I cannot wait to see what you do next. Please keep doing independent cracking venues in Melbourne. Thank Thanks you so, so much. much. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Principle of Hospitality. Hope you really enjoyed that episode. Please comment, like, and share this podcast with your friends in the industry. We're making this content with the industry in mind, so we'd really appreciate you sharing it along to those that you know. And if you don't know us at Poe, Sash, my co-founder from Principal Design, has one of the best design agencies in Australia. So if you're looking for anything around strategy, branding, digital design, wayfinding, and graphic design, you can find them at principaldesign.com.au and myself at Open Pantry Consulting and 42 Days for hospitality advisory and training systems. You can find them at openpantryconsulting.com. Thanks so much for tuning to this episode and until next time, stay well everyone. Hospo is all about connection with your customers and your team. But what if your tools could also connect? That's where Square comes in. Square for Restaurants connects your front of house to your back of house, your team to their schedules, and connects new revenue streams with your marketing to reach new customers. Whether you have one location or many, Square has everything your business needs to connect your vision to reality. Learn more by visiting square.com slash restaurants.